Thank you, Jeremy. This is kind of scary. I'm like worried. I'm like having panic attacks. Just someone falling here or something. So if I do, someone help me, okay? Uh, it's good to see you guys. Um, my name is Josh, if we haven't met. And um, it's good to see some guys in the crowd today. Uh, with the men's retreat this week, and I don't know if I was going to be speaking to a bunch of ladies. So not that that would have been terrible, but it's good to see some guys here. This is great. Um, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it up to Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is where we're at this morning. And uh, we're going to begin over the next five weeks through the end of May, um, a five-week uh, series of walking through different psalms, okay, before we go into the summer, which we're, when we get to the summer, we're going to start heading through a large part of Genesis. I'm excited about that. But um, we're, we're going through this five-week series in the psalms called I Feel. That's because we are emotional people, all right? Now, when, I, when you hear that, some of you are like, I'm not emotional, they're emotional, you know, and that's not what I mean. I'm not saying you're pointing to the next person. You know, when we think of the word emotional, we think of someone who's just like over the top or like, come on, reel it in, that kind of thing. That's not what I mean. We are emotional people in the sense that we have emotions. But I think when it comes to emotions, we often uh, misunderstand our emotions and we often misuse them. Uh, there are There are people honestly all over the spectrum when it comes to our emotions. There are, there are people who quite honestly think that emotions are bad, that you just shouldn't have them, so they really try to just suppress them. Uh, there are, so there's people who are unemotional. Uh, but there are also people who think that emotions are everything. So if you don't feel it, don't do it kind of attitude towards life, you know, and, and they judge everything based on their emotions. And then there's people who are just extremely emotional, and those are the people you go, hey, reel it in, right? You know, it's going to be all right. And so there's people just all over the spectrum when it comes to this. And I think when it comes to emotions, though, we, we misunderstand them. And, and there are many emotions that we, we misapply, we misuse. And I think the great thing is, and what I want us to see, is that, guys, God created our emotions. They're actually a really good thing. They're a good and natural thing. And how we, how we use them, though, how we express them really matters. And I think God has a lot to say when it comes to uh, our emotional lives. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the Psalms and uh, five specific Psalms um, related to five different emotions that you and I feel and experience. Uh, we're going to talk about anger. Uh, we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about contentment. And we're going to talk about sorrow, dabble in depression when we talk about that. But this morning, uh, I want us to look at gratitude, what it means to be grateful, to feel grateful. And so what I want you to ask yourself this morning, just as an assessment question, is that if you were to assess your life, okay, it's, it's, it's on a scale here, would you say that your life is more marked by gratitude or is it more marked by complaining? That when you think about your life and just the breadth of your life, obviously, depending on the, the specific moments, we could be all over the place, but when you think of the breadth of your life, if the scales were to tip one way or the other, would you, would you say that your life is marked with gratitude or with complaining? Which way would the scale fall? Well, I mean, what does it even take for you to get to the place where you feel grateful, that you would feel a sense of gratitude? And these are, these are things that I want us to assess this morning, and I think it, it's, it's a really important assessment. It might feel like a small part of your life, but I would suggest to you that it is a very significant part of your life. Uh, this will be on the screen, uh, but Sandra McCracken, she's a folk singer. I would recommend her music to you. She's pretty great. She once said this. It's always stuck with me. She says, gratitude is a shield. It's like a protection against self-absorption 
It makes the heart quiet and poised to listen. Gratitude is a shield against self-absorption. It makes the heart quiet and poised to listen. I mean, you can think of it this way, okay? The, the expression and posture of gratitude is essential to our lives, not simply as humans, but it is essential as believers, as Christians. If you're a Christian and you're here today, it's essential for our lives. Because without the posture and expression of gratitude, we, we suffocate. It's kind of like breathing, right? I mean, we receive so much in this life, and if you're a Christian, you've received infinitely, I mean, so much from Christ, We receive so much, and just in the same way, if you were to take a breath and you were just to kind of try to keep breathing and just keep breathing in and in and in, eventually what happens? One, like you can't do that, but if you if you could somehow, right? What's going to happen? It's not going to work out, is it? Like you're you're not you're going to die, right? Like you have to exhale in order to receive more, right? There's this process of breathing of inhaling and exhaling. If you don't, you're not going to survive. I think it's even built into us that as we receive life, we, we are meant, we are designed to exhale. If not, we become self-absorbed and we begin to suffocate. And so I think Psalm 136 is a beautiful psalm, and it really uh, orients us when it talks about what we're talking about when, it, when we look at gratitude. And so Psalm 136, I want to read this for us. Uh, if you would, though, let's all stand together as I read this psalm. You're going to notice a theme here very quickly. I was excited we sang that old song. Man, this, this works, David. Thanks, man. Psalm 136. <clears throat> Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. For his steadfast love endures forever. And he rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. God, would you speak? Would you make us grateful people? Amen. Would you guys be seated? Thank you. Can you do my hair now? It'd be great. Thank you. All right. Sorry, was that too loud? My voice is too loud. Okay. Uh, this morning, guys, I want us to see a few things in this amazing psalm, okay? I want us to see that gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. Uh, we see that gratitude has a direction and it has a source. It has a direction and it has a source. And finally, I want us to see how we can cultivate gratitude in our own lives. I think it just spells it out for you so beautifully. How you can cultivate gratitude to where you're marked by it. So first, gratitude is a choice. Notice here in this psalm what it says in verses 1 through 3, and then it ends. The final verse says the same thing. What does it say? It says, give thanks. It doesn't say, say thank you. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, hey, say thank you. It says, give thanks. There's, there's, an, there's a, something you're doing that's it's bigger than just words. There's something coming from inside of you. You're giving something. What are you giving? You're giving thanks. You're, you're grateful. It's a command to be grateful. I think that's really maybe simple to you, but I think it's so significant. Because when it comes to gratitude, we often believe that we don't have a choice in the matter. That's what we think. Gratitude has to be natural, or so we think. It doesn't really feel like a decision. It's something that happens to us. It's not something that we, we do regardless of where we're at. But see, here we are challenged by that thought. I mean, do you really think that everybody's singing this psalm? I mean, a bunch of Hebrew people would get together and they would sing this psalm together. Do you think that they would gather together and they're like, all right, everybody just be quiet, get to a place where you're grateful, when you get to a place where you're grateful, raise your hand. When everyone's hands are raised, then we're going to sing this song. Do you think that's what they did? I didn't do the research, but I doubt it, okay? I doubt that's how they sang this song. You know, let's wait till we all get to a place where we're grateful. All right, that's not how that works. That would be ridiculous, right? But, but it's, it's also not wrong for someone to sing this song of gratitude if they're not in that place yet. Why? Because gratitude is not something that happens to us. It's something that we are called to. It doesn't happen to us, it's something that we're actually called to. It doesn't just happen, it's actually framed here as a choice. And so the reason we don't often think of the emotion of gratitude or being grateful as a choice, but something that happens to us, I think, is because we limit our gratitude to our narrow desires. We have very narrow desires in something we're after. And when we limit it to that, we, we're only grateful when we experience that. Anything else that comes our way, we feel like it's un we're unable to be grateful. I mean, I think often we don't even, we're not even able to put our finger on the pulse of our desires and even recognize what they are. And if we did, though, I think this morning we would realize how narrow and limited our desires can be. Now, I remember vividly one time when I lived in Southern California in Riverside. I was with some friends. We're getting lunch, this beautiful area of the downtown and we went to one of those sandwich places where they make your sandwich and they wrap it up and then they cut it in half. So like if you only eat half the sandwich, the other sandwich is like perfectly wrapped and ready for leftovers, right? Okay. So my friend, he ate half of his sandwich and uh, he was like, man, I'm full. So we had this perfect sandwich just left over. It was the lunch hour. Heat of the day in Riverside. And he saw a homeless man. And he walked over to this homeless man and he wasn't trying to be like amazing or anything. He's just like, you know what? 
I'm going to help this homeless guy out. I'm going to give him this sandwich. And he walked over to this homeless guy. He's like, hey, I haven't even touched this sandwich. I just bought it. It's fresh. Here, have this sandwich. I'm sure you're hungry. It's lunchtime. And the guy, no joke, looked at him. He goes, oh, man, I had my heart set on barbecue. And we were all like, what? And we were waiting for him to be like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Give me the sandwich. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm wait- I have my heart set on barbecue, you know. And uh, we were just like, oh, okay, like, that's great. And we just kind of, like, went on our, our own way, okay. And to this day, I have no idea if that guy was, like, passive-aggressively wanting us to buy him barbecue. I have no idea, okay. But nonetheless, we were just sort of stunned, and we're like, all right, we'll have a good day, you know. And um, that, that man was not able to experience gratitude or choose gratitude because he had his heart set on barbecue, Right? His, his desires were very narrow to the point that he was unable to receive something good and delicious to enjoy because he knew what he wanted. You see this? So, so you may be here this morning in gratitude. It just doesn't feel like a choice for you in your life because you have your heart set on a specific outcome this morning. It doesn't mean that your desire that you have is necessarily evil or wrong or anything. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But you, you, it may just be too narrow. You, you've taken a desire for barbecue, which is a good desire, unless you're a vegetarian, okay? It's a great desire. And you've dug your feet in, and you've decided to reject anything else that is good that God might be bringing your way. So maybe you, you have your heart set on a certain job this morning, and it hasn't arrived yet. And so you feel completely unable to be grateful for the current job you have or the lack of job that you even have, and the season of waiting that you're in. Or maybe you have your heart set on a specific person that that you really want to date. Or maybe they're like an ideal person you've dreamt up in your mind, right? You're holding out for this dream person or that specific person. Maybe they're in this room this morning. I have no idea, right? And you might be missing out on someone else that God is bringing into your life because your, your desires are too narrow, or maybe you have your heart set on just some specific outcome. Again, it could be a great, good outcome. It could be a possession that you want. It could be a relational conflict that you want settled. It could be someone's health that you just really want to see improve. And right now, gratitude doesn't feel like a choice to you. But I'm telling you, it is. Your heart is too narrow, though. You see, gratitude is a choice, but it's limited to the scope of your desires. To put it in a different way, that, that's more tied to our passage this morning. Gratitude, you guys, is a choice that is limited or unlimited by the direction and the source of our gratitude. It's unlimited or it's limited based upon the direction and the source of your gratitude. That's the second thing you see, that gratitude has a direction and it has a source. What's the direction? It says, give thanks to the Lord. Right? It just says, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to the God of heaven. What what is the directional call in this passage for gratitude? It's to God, right? But not just any God. It's to the Lord. It's to Yahweh. It's to the God of gods, to the Lord of lords, to the God of heaven. He is is the God of Israel. He's the God of the church. It's the name of God. It's Yahweh. He's the God of his covenant people. He's the one who is way greater than any so-called God in this world. He's the one who is greater than any perceived person in the world or in authority. It says the word Lord there. He's the one who is over heaven, not just earth. He's over angelic things and eternal realities. 
See, the direction of our gratitude, guys, this morning, it's summoned towards not a small thing or even a mere person, but it's summoned towards the one who is greater, who is higher, who is better, and who is over all things. We are called, guys, we are summoned this morning to lift our eyes from our narrow desires and to set them on the eternal God. The the, the direction is often set upon that narrow desire being met or maybe the person who gives it to you, but most often our desires are set on this object. But here, the direction or the object is God. It's not our circumstances. But what is the source? Beyond this direction, what is the source? What does it say? Why should you be grateful to God? It says, well, he's good, verse 1, right? How is God good? Well, we see how he is good in this dominant refrain throughout. You probably heard it a lot. You're like, oh my gosh, she's saying it again, every verse. Every verse is saying it again, right? What is it? Why should you be grateful? Why should you express gratitude towards God? Is it because you're supposed to? Is it because he's God? Well, sure, that wouldn't be wrong, I guess. It wouldn't be wrong to express gratitude because of that, but there's a better source than merely that approach. It's not just because he is God, that's not the only reason why you should be grateful, nor is it just because he's broadly good, but because it says what? His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. That reason is not just given in one verse, right? It's given in all 26 verses. Your source is there. Every verse, it tells it to you. It wants you to hear it, to believe it, to know it. His love, guys, it doesn't stop. It never gives up. It never tires. It has no end. It is steadfast. It's unwavering. Nothing can stand in God's love's way, right? It's, it's unwavering. It endures forever. His love is not like our love. It endures. It doesn't have a period at the end of the sentence, ever, If you're here this morning and you're experiencing something like a trial in your life or difficulty or suffering, please know that God hasn't ended his love towards you. He didn't put a period on the end of the sentence when he said, "I, I love you. You might be experiencing something that feels like a period, but it's maybe more like a comma, right? It hasn't stopped. It's going to continue to go, right? His love doesn't end. It endures forever. You can't stop it. I think this is really hard for us to get because our love, the love that we try to manufacture apart from God's love, that love doesn't endure forever, does it? The love that we're used to seeing, it doesn't endure forever. In fact, it rarely endures like the first moment of conflict that you have with somebody else. You get conflict, you're like, well, now this is awkward, I'm out. Right? You have a girlfriend or boyfriend, That first time you set eyes on them on campus again or something and the butterflies are gone, you go, well, I guess I don't love you anymore. See ya, right? Or the moment someone this accidentally offends you, or even worse, when they intentionally wound you, we go, period, right? I'm out. That's the way we often experience love, but this is telling you there's no period at the end of the sentence when it comes to God's love for you. It just keeps going and going and going. Our love has a period. God's love is like a run-on sentence that never ends. Um, man, I, uh, I'm not a runner, okay? But I, I try to run multiple times a week, okay? And um, I'm gonna tell you, man, it is miserable every time. It's never gotten better, ever, okay? 
And so, uh, I don't know if Taylor's here today, Taylor Fallman's in my community group, you're talking about this. Uh, he's like, he's like, he ran a marathon, and I was like, man, does it get better ever? And he's like, no, that first mile, mile and a half is always terrible, you know. And so every time I go running, that first quarter mile, I'm like, this is good, I'm doing fine. Quarter mile hits, I'm like, I hate my life. Where's the couch? I want to be laying down. Like, I don't want to be doing this right now, okay? My endurance when it comes to running is, like, very minimal, okay? It is, like, terrible. The first feeling of, like, resistance, I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore, okay? And still, I do it. Um, but my, my endurance when it comes to running is, like, tiny. It's nothing, Right? And oftentimes when we experience love, that's how we view it. The moment it gets difficult, we just, we're out, right? Where's the couch? But if I could tell it to you this way, hopefully this makes sense. God's love is more like Forrest Gump. Right? Do you guys remember Forrest Gump? He could just run from coast to coast, never get tired, right? Tom Hanks, if you've never seen Forrest Gump, there's your afternoon homework, okay? Um, Forrest Gump, right? He, he can just run, he never gets tired, ever, ever, ever. That's like God's love. Right? It never gives up. It's going to chase you down. You can't avoid it. It's steadfast. You couldn't stop it if you wanted to. See, here it is. Here's the thing. It's the object, if the object of your gratitude, guys, is eternally and endlessly worthy, if it's God, it's not some object hoping that you'll get this thing. But if the object, the direction is God, and if the source of your gratitude never runs out, if it's his love, it's just constantly being fed. It's like a lake being fed by a river. It's just always being fed. It's not like a man-made pond that runs dry. You have to keep feeding it yourself. Right, if that's what his love is like, then the opportunity, you guys, for gratitude is today. The opportunity to feel grateful is today. And it was yesterday, too. And it'll be 15 minutes from now. And it'll be later this afternoon when you're at home or doing whatever you want. And it'll be tomorrow, and it'll be the next day, and this whole week, and then next week, and I'll stop because you're getting annoyed, but it'll keep going forever. Like it literally will never end. The opportunity to be grateful is always because the source of our gratitude is his love. See, our, our gratitude comes and goes in ways because the object and the source of our gratitude often fails us, you guys. But the, the source here, it, it never runs dry. So we see gratitude as a choice. We see it has a direction and a source. But thirdly, and really the bulk of the whole psalm, we see how we can cultivate gratitude in our lives. Because you've got to cultivate it. It shows you that. So you won't feel grateful, nor will you experience gratitude if all you ever focus on in your life is what you don't have. If all you ever focus on is what you don't have, then you will not experience gratitude. You will not. It only comes when you focus on what you do have, what you do have. And for that, we need an essential ingredient, okay? We need a uh, sacred practice to be exercised continually in each of our lives. And we see that sacred practice here. The essential ingredient for cultivating gratitude is here. And it's the practice of remembrance. It's the practice of remembrance. It's to remember. To remember what, what you do have. And not to see what you do have as second best, but what you do have is ultimately what you need. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you were sober enough, you would see it's what your heart's after. And you have it. 
So we need to remember to exercise our memory banks, if you will. Well, what does this passage call us to remember that cultivates gratitude in our lives all the time? We see three things. The first thing we see is creation, that we are called to look around and see the beauty of this world and to recognize where this beauty came from. You see in verses 4 through 9, it says, to him who alone does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. So we have the opportunity every day to walk outside and to be grateful. Every day. We are surrounded by so much beauty. Guys, we really have no excuse. Honestly, we don't live in like a concrete jungle called Los Angeles or something, okay? Though that has a different kind of beauty, you could say maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Depends on what you think of Los Angeles. But we, we live in the Willamette Valley, all right? Surrounded by green pastures, majestic trees, rivers, mountains, waterfalls. There are actual animals, right? And bugs even that you want to kill, but if you really think about it, you're like, wow, it's, that's amazing, right? Okay, they remind us, they proclaim all these things. They're just shouting the greatness of God, and they're reminding us that we live in a huge, big, beautiful world that we didn't make, but that he made, and that you get to experience. We look around and we see even each other in this room. Like you look and you stare into the faces of each other. Maybe, uh, maybe not stare, it might be awkward. But you look at each other, just glance, look away, something like that, right? But if you consider each other, right? You consider one another and you just consider even our own lives, right? How amazing the gift of life even is. How unreal it is that, that our bodies work in the way that they do and we don't even do anything, right? We just live and move and have our being. How does that work? God did it. Right? But it, it has God's hand over all of creation. It's God's voice creating it all. It's God's life sustaining and crafting and painting the world in front of your very eyes. He's the direction of our gratitude. But th this shouldn't be some individual act, actually. Often God uses community. I mean, this psalm is written communally, that we would sing it together, right? God often uses community to redirect our eyes towards his grandeur in a way that reawakens us to experience his goodness to us, his love for us, as we walk about in this created world. If you were here last week, um, you met Chris Morgan, an old professor of mine, and uh, I got to host him uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday here in Oregon, He'd never been to Oregon, so I took him to the coast. I took him to a bunch of waterfalls. We met up with another pastor from Southern California who now is in Portland area, just moved here. We took him to Silver Falls, okay? And uh, they were just like blown away. These are California boys, Southern California boys. They were just like blown away. Even, I remember Chris even saying, he's like, man, I've been to like Hawaii, and he was listening off all these places in Europe, and he's like, this is literally the equivalent of the, those places. Like, it's just as good. And I was like, wow, really? Okay. You know, and we're going to Silver Falls and we're going to do the whole entire loop. All right. And um, I'm budgeting like three hours for this. I've done it like once before. And guys, it took like four and a half hours 
That's not because they were bad hikers. It's because literally everything we saw, they were like, oh my gosh. And we'd stop and we'd stare. They're like, look at that flower. Like literally everything. Look at the moss, you know, and like we see waterfalls and they were just like blown away. And at first I'm like mildly annoyed. And then I'm like kind of laughing. I mean, at first I'm like, we got to keep going, guys. We got to get to lunch, you know. And uh, just then I'm like amused by it. But then all of a sudden, honestly, seeing the silver falls through their eyes again, I was like, you're right. This is pretty amazing, right? And it's not that I'm looking at the waterfalls going, whatever. But in a sense, seeing God's creation through their eyes is reawakening within me like, wow, I can't believe I get to live in this place. You're saying this is the equivalent of Hawaii? I'd rather be in Hawaii most days, you know? But my goodness, like, it's just reawakening the sense of gratitude. I can't believe I get to live here. Look at God's beauty, and I get to experience this. Why did he make this? He's just screaming out his glory and his praise. And I get to wander around this world and be like, wow, we get to experience this. This is beautiful. We have moment-by-moment opportunities to remember the genius of our beautiful creator and his masterpiece that we live in called life. And we just have to practice looking for it and remembering it. Who created all of it? But secondly, you see, we should remember our redemption. Look in 10 through 15. To him who struck down the firstborn and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. If you've never read Exodus before, This is recalling the Exodus story. People talk about it and sing about it throughout the entire Bible. You can't read your Bible and miss it. They recall it all the time. God's people, it's recalling, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Like literal, just oppressed slaves. They toiled, they labored for the longest time, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and in doing so, led his people out of slavery. He redeemed them. He saved them through the waters of the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. It's what this is talking about. They walk across on dry ground. And when Egypt tried to follow them and pursue them and get them back into their slavery, the sea fell and it washed out their enemies. God's people's enemy, their slave master, drowned in the sea behind them. And they were completely and utterly, for the first time in the longest time, free. But this story, you guys... It's not just an ancient story. It was actually just a shadow. It was just a foretaste of a greater redemption that was to come. Because you might know it, but in some sense, we are all Israelites in this room. Right? We, we may not have been enslaved by a pharaoh in Egypt at one point, but we have all been enslaved by a greater and worse pharaoh. All of us in this room are sin. It enslaves us. And it is a terrible taskmaster. You know it. You've experienced it. And it drives you to despair. It might drive you to self-hatred or just beating yourself up. And why can't I change? And those types of thoughts and feelings. Our sin ultimately leads us, though, to our greatest fear and our greatest obstacle, our greatest enemy that we all have to face in this room. And that's death. And we stare it in our face and we're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this prison. But God, guys, he didn't just send a Moses to lead us out of our slavery to our sin. God sent us Jesus, the eternal son of God, to not just 
point the way towards freedom and say, there it is, go find it. No, he pointed to himself and he came and he gave his life, not in some sea of water, but up on a cross. He died in your place on that cross so that we could ultimately turn from our slavery to our sin and our fears of facing our ultimate uh, fear of death and we could experience redemption. Guys, Jesus drowned all of our sin and death itself into oblivion by taking our place on the cross. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God has secured salvation. He secured eternity for anyone who would turn from their slavery and turn to Jesus to redeem them. And if you're a Christian, guys, taking the time and remembering who you once were before you knew Jesus, you were a slave, and seeing who you are now because of Jesus, and remembering what Jesus went through for you, I'm telling you, that is an endless source for gratitude. Talk about cultivating gratitude. When I think back about who I was before I ever met Jesus, and I look at my life today, I'm like, how did this happen? I should be in a ditch dead somewhere, honestly. How am I here before you today? God did it. He redeemed me. And if you're sober enough to remember that this morning, you would experience that gratitude as well. And tomorrow, when, you, when you're fighting for gratitude, that's still your story. Your story didn't change. That source of gratitude is still there. But here's the thing. Let's just be honest. There are some days where our personal redemption stories begin to sort of lose their shininess. We're like, yeah, I've thought about this a lot. And I think many days we, we once were in awe of what God has done for us. And we, the reason is that we lose that awe is because we're only viewing ourselves as if it, God just redeemed us individually. But I think we're meant to remember our redemption communally. That's what the psalm is painting for us. In light of God redeeming not only me, but redeeming us, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. I mean, do you notice here that the psalmist is calling us to remember not the redemption of one Israelite. It doesn't say, hey, remember when Jerry was a slave in Egypt, right? And we let him out. That's not at all, or Joanna, I don't know Hebrew names, okay? But this, like, it doesn't say that. It's like God led us, a people, this is communal type stuff. Yes, it's for each individual, but we're a communal people. We're a people. God redeems people, not just person. He redeems people, not just a person. And so we experience gratitude communally. I mean, last week even, um, I wasn't like discouraged. I was just kind of meh. And I, I got a news update from a friend of mine who's a, been a missionary in Turkey for like nine years. It's the most unreached country in the world. Okay? I could go on about stats. I have a huge heart for Turkey. And he wrote this update. They've been there for nine years just trying to share the good news, the hope of Jesus. He said for the first time in nine years, we got to baptize two people who came to, who came to faith in Jesus. And man, when I read that, when I think about all the prayers we've prayed, I wasn't like, eh, that was their redemption. But what about me, God? I didn't have to process it that way. I was like, oh my gosh. God is redeeming people. It's not just about me. And when I see him redeeming other people, that cultivates my gratitude. 
God is still working. It's not only about me. Thirdly, guys, we see God's care. I'm just going to call it God's care. There's a lot going on here. But 16 through 26 says, to him who led his people through the wilderness. So after redemption, right? To him who struck down great kings, killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. In these last 10 verses, guys, we not only see that we are to remember God's hand in creation, nor just his hand in redemption, but we are to see and savor and recognize his continuing hand in caring for us and providing for us what we need and ultimately what we need and what we receive here is his presence. He didn't just redeem you and say, good luck. He redeemed you and said, I'm with you. I'm always with you. I'm caring for you. I'm providing for you. See, we see here the memory of how God has provided for his people after he redeemed them. They are called to remember how God provided for them in the wilderness, how he provided water and food for them in a desert when it seemed impossible to find water, where it was impossible to find food, God showed up, he provided. He didn't redeem them just so they would suffer. He redeemed them and he walked with them. And when they came up against powerful nations that oppressed them, God defeated their enemies so that they could no longer be oppressed. The call here is to think and remember all the things that God has given to you beyond the cross. God hasn't just cared for you in the cross. Yes, he has ultimately cared for you when Jesus died upon that cross, but the caring and providing for you extends beyond the cross. It extends into this moment today. And I think we miss out on so much that we should be grateful for to God because we take things for granted. We just don't remember. We don't see how God is continually providing for us. And so we have breath in our lungs this morning. If you're still awake, right, you have breath in your lungs. And we attribute that to just mere science or just that's the way the world works, right? That's how it functions, I guess. And yeah, it is science in some sense, right? But it's really God who's sustaining you and, and gives and, and takes life, Scripture says. Or you, yes, you earn that money to pay those bills, Yes, you interviewed, you interviewed for that job and you got it. But who really gave you that job? I mean, who gave you the skills you have to even do that job? Who gave you the wiring and the personality you have? Who gave you the brains or whatever to do that thing? Who did that? Well, God made you. How do you think you're able to teach, Jason? Well, God made you that way, man, right? I can go through this room probably for all of you. But God did that. You didn't do that. Yes, you bought those groceries. But, I mean, who caused you to be born in, in a place like America where you actually have markets you can go to to buy groceries? Yes, you won that trophy. Good job. You got the T-shirt maybe too. I don't know. But who gave you the athletic ability or who gave you the brains to win the spelling bee, if, that was, if that's your claim to fame, right? Who did that for you? I can go on and on and on, Right? If you fail to see all the way God cares for you because you attribute your life to yourself or just, hey, that's the way the world works, this is what you're doing. You're robbing yourself of gratitude and you're robbing God of his glory. If we fail to see all the ways God is caring for us daily, we're robbing ourselves of gratitude and we're robbing God of his glory. We have moment-by-moment moment calls of remembrance if we are sober enough to see the daily provision of God for us all. 
Guys, remembering is a sacred and essential practice. It's, it's exercising. But we exercise to the point where we could be grateful people, to a point where we can call upon God and glorify him. And this is why it's good to, if you can, fight to spend time, even every day if you can, just to be in God's word and remember all these things, cultivate that gratitude. That's why Sundays are important. Because I get here in this room with you and we're cultivating gratitude, remembering what God is doing for us all the time. I need Sundays in my life. When we do this, guys, I think we will begin to reek with gratitude. We'll just smell like it. I worked at Starbucks for two and a half years during seminary. I loved it. Maybe you're a coffee snob and now you look down on me. I don't care. Whatever. Um, but I would come home after eight hours of work and I would just reek. When I was there, I didn't realize it, but I would reek like coffee and syrup. So if you came up to me and gave me a hug, right, which I'm a hugger, I give that to a lot of people, you'd go, oh, man. Like you would smell it on me, right? And if you knew where I was, you'd be like, you smell like Starbucks. That's what you would have said to me. It would be unavoidable. It would be obvious. Why? It's a simple question, but why? That's where I was. That's where I was for eight hours. That's why I smelled like Starbucks. See, I think when we experience God's love and goodness and are communally calling each other to constantly remember his goodness to us, we're going to smell like gratitude. We're going to reek like gratitude. We'll find ourselves not complaining as much. We're just focused on all the things God's doing in our lives. Because our hearts and our minds are constantly filled with his goodness and his grace. And as we scatter into our city today, and as we scatter into our city every single day, guys, we scatter into a world that has a weak and dry source of gratitude. Because the world's source of gratitude is tied to a narrow desire of our hearts, and it's only going to happen. We're only going to be grateful if we get that desire. And we're going to be grateful for a moment. But if the, in the world, guys, if we don't get that, then we'll continue to focus on what we don't have. But this morning, like every morning and every moment of your day, we get to focus on what we do have. And we have way too much. Not just enough. We have so much. So as a church, us being a grateful people, I think, is honestly one of the most missional and hopeful things we can even provide for our city. You will stand out when you're filled with constant gratitude as we practice remembrance. And so I want to call us to remembrance in our time of response, like we do every week. We come to the table, don't we? If you're a Christian, you're invited to come to these tables in the front and the back, and we take the bread and the cup, and what are we doing? Remembering. Remembering our redemption. Remembering all that God has done for us and how he continually walks with us every day, and you're not alone. And as I see myself go to the table, I'm remembering his redemption for me, but I'm watching you. As you go to the table, I'm remembering God's redemption in you. And that just further stokes the fires of gratitude in our hearts. So let's do that. Let's respond to God this morning. Let's continue to cultivate gratitude that we might scatter across this city this week, reeking with it. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray for us as we go into our time of response.